Well, I kind of feel I'm maybe partway in the middle. I don't think a new year or even a new decade is a magic wand to make everything fine. But I do quite like a fresh start. And so what I thought this morning from this passage is we just look at a possible approach to 2020 that I feel God's been drawing out from this passage as I've studied it. Um, So I offer it to you this morning. You may want to take this on board yourself, and um, this might be a way that you might want to have a little framework for this year, or you may just want to leave it on your seat as you leave church this morning. That is fine. But I offer it to you this morning as a possible approach. Here's the three things that I feel God has been pulling out of this passage. Firstly, place radical trust in God. Place radical trust in God. So what's going on here in this passage is that eight days after Jesus was born, um, he's circumcised and he's officially given the name Jesus that they were told to give him um, before he was born. And after the birth of a son, a mother had to wait 40 days and then she had to go and offer herself and the child um, at the temple for her purification. So when we have a baby and it's six weeks old, we take it to the GP and we make sure it's, it gets medically checked out and that's all fine. But here at six weeks old or at 40 days, the baby had to be presented at the temple. And if you couldn't afford a lamb and a dove or a pigeon to sacrifice for it, then you were able to offer two pigeons or two doves. And that was what the Jewish law required. <coughs> So Joseph and Mary make the journey from Bethlehem, where they had Jesus, to Jerusalem, where the temple was, which is about five miles. And um, the law stated that the firstborn of both male and animal had to be presented to the Lord and dedicated to the Lord. So the firstborn animals were to be sacrificed, and the firstborn males were to serve God throughout their lives and how they did it actually was that the Levites served in place of all the firstborn males so that's why Mary and Joseph are here that's why they're at the temple presenting Jesus their firstborn son um, and and taking their sacrifice and then we meet Simeon And we're told that he's a righteous man, he's a devout man, and he's had this very specific promise from God that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. And even though he was an old man, uh, he had potentially been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled for a long time, a number of years. Even so, he trusted God for that promise. He was moved by the Holy Spirit on this particular day to go into the temple courts where he immediately recognized the baby Jesus as being the Messiah. And Simeon, this old man, takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he says these beautiful words. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon had what you might call radical trust in God and in his promise to him. He was an old man, but he was living, 
trusting that he would not die until God's promise to him had been fulfilled and that he saw the Messiah. (coughs) Now for some of us, it might be a specific promise from God that we're waiting for. And that probably springs to your mind straight away if it's that. But for some of us, this challenge from Simeon is more about trusting God just for a particular situation that we're facing. I mean, it could be anything as we start this year. You'll know what springs to mind for you. Um, You know, it could be a relationship that you want and are waiting for. It could be a difficult situation within family. It could be a grief. It could be a financial thing. It could be anything at all. I don't know what yours is. And trust God more. (laughs) Sounds like such an obvious, predictable Christianism, doesn't it? I realize that. But I've really wrestled these past few days with this because I thought, well, I can't very well stand up in front of you and ask you to do something if I'm not going to do it myself. So I've looked deeply into my own life at the things I need to trust God for and the things that I am struggling with. And what I thought was, I'll think of mine, I'll think of my thing, and you think of whatever your thing might be. And I thought, for, the, for all of those situations, we've got various options, haven't we? You know, we've got the option at the beginning of this year to go, well, I'll just try a bit harder to fix it myself. I'll read some more books, I'll ask some more people, I'll try a bit harder, and I'll just see if I can plow on through and fix this thing. So that's one option we've got open to us. We've also got another option, which is... Um, pretty much dying under the weight of it, struggling, resigning ourselves to the fact this thing is hard, maybe this is just my cross to bear, and this is really hard, and I hate it, and this is the state of my life, and I can't believe it. That's another option open to us. But how about this option? How about the option of totally, radically, like we haven't ever before, trusting God with this particular thing? What about saying, it's not my problem anymore, I can't do it anymore, and I am handing it over to you, God, and I'm trusting that by your grace and your mercy, you will deal with that, and you will look after me in the meantime. That is placing radical trust in God. I read this, trusting God does not mean believing he will do what you want, but rather believing he will do everything he knows is good. Trusting God in this way does all sorts of things, but one of the major things I think it does is it opens up the way for miracles to happen. Because God can work in our lives at any moment. Of course he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants and he can break in. But here's the thing. If you're still holding on to that situation or that problem and you're still holding on to it tightly and you're still trying with all your might to fix it, if God comes in and does something about it, you won't even recognize it as a miracle. You'll just think, hey, I pushed on enough and I fixed it. Whereas if we hand it over to him... And we say, that's it, I'm done. I am trusting you for this thing. And then we wait and we see and we look. If he swoops in and does a miracle, we absolutely know that he has done something for us and it becomes part of our story and it builds our faith and it means that we can drop our shoulders and relax 
and breathe and know that someone else is taking care of this thing for us. I've been listening to um, a new song to me recently, recommended by one of our worship team. Um, it's actually, it's by Christy Knuckles, if you know her, and it's actually a lullaby, but I love this as a song for all of us when we need to trust God a bit more, and it's called River of Grace. Listen to this, it says, There is a place far from this worried world where freedom awaits. That burden you've got locked inside, how you tend to hide. So won't you go there with me? Down to the riverside, where the water runs free and you can let your heart swing open wide. You weren't made to carry such a load. Lay it down and we can watch it go down the river of grace. All it takes is a little bit of faith. And Jesus comes and carries it away down the river of grace. This is not a promise that Jesus is going to carry your problem away. What this is, is saying that he will come and deal with it in his way, in his grace, and he will take care of us in the meantime. We can place our trust in God. And I realize this is really hard to hear. This is a hard challenge to hear at the beginning of the new year, particularly if you've trusted God before and you've felt disappointed. Or you've trusted God before and you're still waiting. It's very hard to hear. But I love what Corrie Ten Boom said. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. So how about we each fill in the blank? This year I will radically trust God for dot, dot, dot. You fill in that blank for you, but I feel sure that he wants us to learn from Simeon. Keep holding on, keep giving it to God, keep looking for those answers, looking for those signs that he's coming in and he's working and he's doing something in that situation and that he's looking after us in the meantime. I feel sure that he wants us to grow in that this year. Here's a prayer. When I don't know what to do, I'll trust you. When I don't understand why, I'll trust you. I'll do my part with your help. And when I'm done, I'll trust you to do the rest. Before we move on, let me just give you this. I came across this, seven habits of people who place radical trust in God. So this was compiled by a woman who did lots of reading and lots of research into um, missionaries and martyrs and people who had incredible trust in God. And she read lots about them and she spotted sort of themes that came out. And these were seven things that she noticed very quickly. One, they accept suffering. They have crystal clarity on the fact that suffering is not the worst evil, sin is. They prioritize it lower than the rest of us do. They focus far more on not sinning than on not suffering. Two, they accept the inevitability of death. It gets lighter, I promise. (laughs) People who place great trust in God can only do so with a heaven-centered worldview. They think in terms of eternity, 
not in terms of calendar years. Their goal is not to maximize their time on earth, but rather to get themselves and as many other people as possible to heaven. Three, they have daily appointments with God. I've never heard of a person who had a deep, calm trust in the Lord who did not set aside time for focused prayer every day. Four, in prayer, they listen more than they talk. She says, I'd heard enough stories of people praying for something very specific, then receiving it, that I started to wonder if they were psychic or God just liked them more than the rest of us. What I eventually realized is that their ideas about what to pray for came from the Holy Spirit in the first place because they spent so much time seeking God's will day by day. Five, they limit distractions. Technology makes us far too accessible to the demands and pressures of the moment. Here in the connected age, we are constantly bombarded with demands on our attention. Periods of silence where we can cultivate inner stillness and wait for the promptings of the Holy Spirit are increasingly rare. She writes about Brother Yun, um, who was a, um, a, great, a great man who knew lots of persecution and totally lived his life for God. It's hard to imagine Brother Yun seeing the subtle beauty of God's plan in the midst of persecution while keeping his Twitter status updated on a minute-by-minute basis. Number six, they submit their discernment to others. People who have a long history of watching the way the Lord works in their lives notice that he often speaks through holy friends, family members, and leaders. And seven, they offer the Lord their complete, unhesitating obedience. That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. So firstly, we place radical trust in God. Secondly, we do the basics well. Do the basics well. It's always good when studying the Bible to read a little bit before your passage and a little bit after your passage because it helps you get the context. And if you read on after the passage we read this morning, we meet another wonderful character called Anna. And um, Anna had been married for seven years and then her husband died. So she had been a widow for all that time until when they meet her, she's 84 years old. And um, we're told that she never left the temple. So she stayed there day in, day out, and she worshipped the Lord. And um, she sees Jesus when he comes in to be presented at the temple, and temple, and she recognizes that he's the Messiah. And she starts teaching the people there all about it. And Simeon and Anna are both examples to us of people who devoted themselves to God in the meantime, even while they're waiting for an answer to something, or even while they're waiting for a situation to be resolved. They completely devoted themselves to God. So listen to this next bit. In fact, I would say, listen to this next bit more than you'll listen to any sermon in Christchurch this year. Don't tell Tim. (laughs) I would not be telling you the truth if I stood here this morning and I didn't tell you that the biggest difference that will be made to your Christian life your devotion to God, your shaping by the Holy Spirit this year will be made by doing the basics well in your own personal time. Reading the Bible, praying, listening to God, worshipping him. Do those things relentlessly, habitually, constantly, frequently, Do the basics well. There are no shortcuts. Nothing else will have a bigger impact on your life. We've got to do the basics well. There, I've said it. 
It doesn't mean you have to stay at church 24-7 like Anna did at the temple, but it means that we have to find a way in our 21st century busy lives to do those things that are going to grow us, are going to shape us, that, that show our devotion to God, where he gives space where he can speak to us and he can form us and transform us and shape us. So here's just a couple of examples, okay? So prayer, if we want to grow in prayer this year. And my favorite top tip for prayer recently was on the Alpha course that we ran last term. And we watched the DVDs. And um, on the week that was about prayer, this guy came on to talk about it. He was clearly wheeled in as an an expert in prayer. And um, he was a Benedictine monk. And he was like about as far away from me as you could possibly imagine. So here he was, like shaved head, um, white dog collar, white shirt, white jumper with a background of Rome behind him. I mean, it was just all so pure and holy. And I was just like, okay, so his prayers are just going to be on a different stratosphere to mine. Anyway, I listened, and this is what he said. His three top tips for prayer. This guy who has devoted his whole life to praying to God, you know what he said? He said, keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep it going. That's it. We've got to be honest with God. We can be honest with God. He says, welcome, you're my child. Tell me what it is. Tell me the stuff you wouldn't even tell anyone else. Cry with me. Laugh with me. Share it with me. We can be completely honest. Be simple. We don't have to pray like anyone else. We don't have to pray long prayers. We don't have to pray... We don't have to pray anything just simple. Just be real and be ourselves. And he says, keep it going. Just keep it going. Just daily. Brother Brother Lawrence said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. I want to live like that. And they say prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in the closet. Don't just learn about prayer this year. Do it. Let's get on our knees. Get in our bedroom. Get in your quiet space, wherever it is. Find that space and be with him. Or maybe you want to grow in Bible reading this year and you want to do that more regularly and more intentionally. And we've got friends that run a church in London and, um, and it's re- a great church. Loads of young people there. It's really visionary. It's really cutting edge, whatever. It's a great church. And you know what their vision is for this year, what they're getting the whole of their church community to do this year? Read the Bible for 15 minutes every day. That is what they're doing. They're all reading the, whole, the same thing and they're following the same Bible reading plan and by the end of this year, they'll have read the whole of the New Testament together. And this is what they're using. They're using the acronym BREAD. You might like this as well if you like new ideas. So B is be still. Find a place where you can properly concentrate on God and invite the Holy Spirit to guide your time. R, read. Read the passage, then read it again slowly and pick out a verse that really speaks to you. E is encounter. Take your chosen verse and think, what is it that God is trying to say to me through that? A is apply. Turn your focus outwards. Apply it to your life. What is the way you could put that verse into practice in your life? And D is devote. A simple prayer that God would be real in your life. And he would help you to put what you've read into practice. There was a woman called Susanna Wesley. You might have heard of her sons. She had Charles Wesley and John Wesley. One was a preacher, one was a hymn writer. And um, Susanna Wesley had 19 children. So we think we're busy, right? We think we've got a lot going on in our lives. She had 19 children. Doesn't bear thinking about. Do you know what she did 
to make sure she did the basics well of spending time with God, reading the Bible, praying. Partway through the day, she would sit in her chair and she put her apron over her head. And all the kids knew when that apron goes up, mummy's reading the Bible and praying and we are not to disturb her. It might not be that, but let's find some way in our busy lives of doing the basics well. And thirdly, the third thing I feel God's been drawing out of this passage is to choose to see God's salvation every day. So this song of Simeon, when he takes baby Jesus in his arms, is so wonderful, isn't it? He says, you now dismiss your servant in peace, Lord. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's like, I can die now. The promise has come true. I've seen the Messiah. I I can go. I can leave this world now. And seeing God's salvation is such an incredible phrase, isn't it? For Simeon, it was a specific moment, wasn't it, of seeing Jesus, recognizing, right, he's the Messiah, he's the one that's going to bring salvation. Well, we don't hold baby Jesus in our arms, do we, this morning? We don't see Jesus literally walking down the street. But you know what? Jesus has come And he's lived and died and risen again. And he is alive today and his Holy Spirit power is at work. And it's up to us to simply tune in and choose to see what he is doing every day. It's a bit like when a disaster happens in life. You know if there's a a terrible earthquake or there's an act of terrorism or something. And people say, look for the good Look for the ones doing good in that situation because there will always be acts of kindness, of self-sacrifice when something bad happens. And we might look around us at the world today and just go, oh, it's crazy. There's so many extremes. There's so much going wrong. Make no mistake, God is alive and God is at work today. There's different statistics, but there are thousands upon thousands of people saying yes to Jesus for the first time every day around the world. His church is growing. There are thousands of churches being planted today, every day. His church is growing and he is alive and he is ready to work at every single moment. And I would encourage us to have eyes to see it Andy and I, let me just finish with this, Andy and I went to see a film just before Christmas. In fact, we had a little cheeky date day, didn't we? We decided evenings were busy, we wanted to spend some time together before Christmas, and so we dropped the boys at school, and we went off to the cinema. Ever so weird in the daytime. Anyway, we went to see Last Christmas. Did anyone see it? I won't say too much, because there's a bit of a twist in the tale. Anyway, we went to see that, and there's a character in it, and he always says, his little catchphrase is, look up look up. And he takes the main character for a walk around London. It's like these places that she's been so many times before. And then he'd get her to a point and he'll say, look up. And she'll see something amazing that she's never noticed before. Um, She'd see signs and plaques and statues and beautiful things, all of which she's walked past before. And just because she hadn't looked up and noticed it. And I just thought, what if this year we would have all our senses open and on and we would look up, as it were. We would see what God's doing because we would view the world in a completely different way. He is bringing transformation. In this place, look at you lovely people. God is working. 
And I know we want him to work more. I know we need to trust him for those things that we haven't yet seen. But he is alive and well and working and bringing his transformation. And I think we would do so well this year to choose to have eyes to see it, to celebrate those things because it bolsters our faith. It gives us great stories to share with other people of what God is doing as he draws them in as well. Let's 2020 be a year when we look up, when we choose to see God's salvation every day. Would you like to close your eyes with me? And we're just going to spend a little bit of time allowing the Lord to speak to us and see what it is that he would want to highlight for each one of us this morning. You might want to just open your hands as you sit there just as a way of saying to the Lord that you're ready to receive from him, that you want to hear from him. Maybe there's something already that you know you need to offer to him, to trust him with. Just sit in the Lord's presence for a moment and see what he highlights to you. Lord, would you speak? Would you come by your spirit? And would you shine a light for each of us on those areas of our lives that you want to work in? It might be trust. It might be a recommitment to reading your word and praying. It might be needing to have a different view of the world and seeing all that you're doing each day. Lord, would you come and speak to us now? Show us what you want us to do, we pray. We've got a little bit of time before we need to finish our service, before we need to pick up children or anything. So we're going to stay in this place for a little while and have a chance to respond to God. And just while people keep their eyes closed, if you feel that this thing about um, trusting God, like placing radical trust in God, 
is something that's for you this year. You just think, actually, I need to hand that thing over. Maybe you've been trying to deal with it long enough or you don't know what way to turn next or you simply want to have a stronger, more committed trust in God. Um, Would you stand up now? Because I'd love to pray for you. You don't need to come to the front. Just stand up and say to God, I want to trust you this year. I need you. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your provision. And I'm choosing to trust you with my life. And I'm choosing to trust you with this situation. Just stand up where you are because I'd love to pray for you.